Good morning, everyone. Can you turn me down just a little bit? Thank you. Have you ever heard a sermon or a theological concept and thought, okay, how does that affect me? Sometimes as we study scripture, we see and hear great biblical truth. But then we ask, well, how does that apply to me? We hear, hear sermons and we think, yes, I know I'm a sinner, but what do I do about it? What in my life needs to change? How does this a message affect me? Well, today we're going to see an example of a preacher that helps the people know what they need to know and even applies how they should take that knowledge. It's important for us to understand that you have to have both. You have to have understanding of who God is and what he expects out of us. And then we also need to know how that affects us. We've all probably heard sermons where one or the other is given. Either we have a list of things that we need to do and don't do, the how-to, or we have a sermon with a whole bunch of information, and we say, wow, that's great to know about God, but what effect does that have in my life? We've heard sermons that way, correct? Well, today in our passage, we're going to see John the Baptist is the ultimate preacher. <laughs> he gives a, a great theological message. It's summarized for us in our passage. But then he also gives us the how-to. What does this look like? Now that I understand these great truths, what am I supposed to do? And he tells them. Turn in your Bibles over to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We're going to see a call for the fruit of repentance. A call for the fruit of repentance. It's a wonderful sermon summarized here in Luke's account. In Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. So today we're going to look at a call for the fruit or results of repentance to be displayed in the believer's life. It's a message to respond to God appropriately. Let's read our passage. So John, or he, began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning John or him, saying, 
then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. In this passage, we see again a summary of what he was saying ongoing over and over. It's a beautiful passage to explain what repentance should look like in the life of a believer. There are two parts of the call for the fruit of repentance. You can follow along in your notes. First, there's the passionate call for personal repentance. It is the information section of the sermon. Then there are three applications of the fruit of repentance. This is the application section of a sermon. Now, it appears in in Jesus' day and in John's day that the sermons were very much like our death service. And that is, this morning, Terry's preaching away, and all of a sudden, somebody asks him a question. Right in the middle of the sermon. Thankfully, Terry didn't ask me a question at that time. But he asks a question, to the people ask him a question, and he will respond and interact. Right in the middle of a sermon, in the time of talking. And that is very much like it was in this day. John the Baptist would preach a sermon... And in the process of preaching, somebody would say, wait, I got a question. What is this about? I don't understand. How does this apply to me? And he would make direct application right there on the place. And here we have a beautiful picture of that. So today we're going to start first with the passionate call for personal repentance. That's found in verses 7 to 9. So he began saying this idea of talking to the crowds about what they, were, what they needed. There's five features that we're going to look at here of this passionate call. First, I want you to notice the audience, an audience who was seeking answers. Notice it says in the verse 7, it says, the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him. They were going out to be baptized by him. These were people seeking to be baptized. As mentioned last week, there had to be a degree of humility from the people. Why? Because Jewish people getting baptized in that day meant they were associating with Gentiles. And they were saying that they were impure and they needed to be cleaned up. So there is a sense where they recognize their need. These people were coming out. Now, we have this preacher that goes to USF campus, and he often talks and screams at the kids on campus, calling them snakes, homosexuals, calls them names. And his justification is this passage, 
The problem is, is that the students don't go out to the school to hear preaching. <laughs> They're not coming out recognizing their need. He's just yelling at them, calling them names. John the Baptist here had people coming out wanting to hear. By the way, you're probably here for that same reason, right? You want to hear the word of God. Maybe there's some snakes in the room. Maybe some of us are snakes. We need to ask that question, are we one of these snakes? Just like John the Baptist talked about. We, you have an audience who is seeking answers. Are you seeking answers? Do you see yourself as a pretty good person? Then if you th see yourself as a pretty good person, this might not be the service for you. <laughs> If you see that you need cleaning, you need purification, you need forgiveness, this is the service for you. It's a good start. Plus, notice it says, who were warned or who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. It has this idea that these people must have been warned to some degree that judgment was coming. They must have understood to some degree judgment's coming. There was a heightened awareness that the Messiah was coming. So here we see John's audience was uh, full of people under conviction, convicted of sin. Listen, if there is no fear of God in our minds, we're not ready to listen to the word. If you're not fearing God at this moment, you're not ready to listen do you understand who God is? Do you understand that he's holy? Do you understand that his standards are righteousness and perfection? Do you understand that you fall short of that? If so, you understand you're under conviction. You need the message. The same message John preached here. I hope all of you are here ready to learn, ready to listen, ready to take it in, even if it means hearing hard things. <laughs> Terry was quoted a verse this, mor this morning about Colossians, in Colossians, about women obeying. He gave the scripture, obeying their husbands. Whew. That's not easy to hear. <laughs> Most women in here say, I don't like that translation. <laughs> we need to change that one. But the men have a responsibility to love like Christ loved the church. That's a pretty high sacrifice. That means putting your wife above yourself all the time. That's what Christ did. He put the people above himself, the church above himself. He died for us. Are you ready to hear these kind of messages? Are you ready to hear and embrace these truths? Do you understand? Are you under conviction that you're not accomplishing those things the way you should? Listen, are you an audience seeking to get rid of the sin in your life. 
Next we see John calls, or gives, his call includes an uncompromising commitment to the truth. An uncompromising commitment to the truth. Notice he says, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? <laughs> John here doesn't water down the message, does he? He doesn't change it and make it a little easy to hear. He calls the people literally sons of snakes, children of snakes. This is John's way of saying, you evil ones like your father, the devil. John says, you're evil like the ones who bore you. In today's language, it would be this. You ready? You all in this room are totally depraved, lost sinners apart from Christ. Boy, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Anybody want to hear that? John acknowledges that they are right in their fear of the wrath. He says, who warned you? You're right on this by saying that question. John uses then this uh, vivid picture language to proclaim the truth using this snake. The idea here is as a snake in the desert. When a, when a fire would be coming, when judgment would be coming, they would flee out of their holes and they would race towards water, race somewhere else to get away from the judgment that's coming. And here are these people coming out of the cities towards him to get baptized. And he says, you brood of vipers who warned you of the judgment to come. Wow. He doesn't mix words, does he? He doesn't dumb it down, did he? Ladies and gentlemen, you come to this church. It might not always be easy to hear. But if we're going to be an uncompromising church, committed to the truth, we will be like John the Baptist and call you to the truth. Don't you want that? Don't you want to know how you can avoid judgment? Don't you know, want to know how you can please your God? In America, what you will get, and you can find it, ladies and gentlemen, in this town. If you want a church that's just going to tickle your ears, there's plenty of them. There's lots of them out there. There's probably one on every corner. Listen to this. I got this interesting story this way. You might even be able to do this. A lighthouse church at Lighthouse Church of all nations, the congregation get more than just prayer, the Sunday worship service. If a lucky or, quote, blessed and highly favored churchgoer is in the right seat, they can receive a cash prize. At each of the three Sunday services, the Reverend Dan Willis puts a number under the seats and then pulls a number from a bag and the worshipers can win a prize. First place, $500. Second and third place, 
$250. The cash prize is part of Willis's recent focus on helping the congregation pay their bills and be have a debt-free life. He said, we had so many people displaced from their jobs and facing foreclosure. When people's faith was high, their debt was down. What? The opposite's true. When their faith was down, their debt was high. Wrong. The opposite. When you have bills, you what? Have to trust the Lord more. I realize the two are connected, is what he said. Willis concedes, listen, the cash prize is a gimmick to fill the pews. But he's unapologetic about the plan because it's working. On a typical Sunday, church draws 1,600 people. But since the money giveaway about five weeks ago, the congregation has grown to 2,300 people. You brood of snakes, I want to give you some money. Give me a break. I hope you're not here to get money. Because <laughs> you ain't going to get it here. <laughs> we have a saying that goes around. You come to Grace Bible Church to become poor. You come, you lose your job. You come, you lose family members. You come, you suffer. You come and you heard, hear the word of God. And you trust God more. And your faith grows because you depend upon the king of glory, not yourself. An uncompromising commitment to the truth. That's what John was all about. Not giving Hummers and Harley Davidsons away. Where is the uncompromising commitment to truth? Speaking the truth in love. Notice third feature. A call for fruit. Literally. Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We talked about repentance last week. What repentance is and what repentance is not. Just to give you a simple definition, John Murray, you can write this down. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of the will. It's your thought process change. Repentance, Thomas Watson, a Puritan, stated. 
Repentance is this. Recognition of one's own sin. Sorrow over that sin. Confession of sin to God. Shame over the sin. Hatred over the sin. And turning from the sin. That is repentance. Here we see John the Baptist states, the truly repentant, the one that's had a change in heart, the change in mind, the change in will, must produce fruit, a changed life. John states, people who have been changed do what is natural for them, their new changed nature. Now, it's important for us to note, 2 Timothy, look, this is our memory verse for the week. Memory verse, mark this down. I want you to memorize this. Memory verse, 2 Timothy 2.25 states, With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Notice this second half. If, perhaps, God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So, repentance is a change of heart that ultimately is found and given from who? God. God grants it. He works in the heart. And at the point that we, he works in our hearts, we turn and change. We do it. But he has to work in us in order to accomplish this. This is important to understand. Why is this important to understand? Because this is not a self-help group. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's not a self-reformation group. You in here are not going to clean yourselves up by yourself. You can't do it. God has got to change you. And what does that do? It makes us even more dependent on him. I need you. Change me. Fix me, God. I'm in desperate need. Not self-reformation. Now, at this point, you may say, then it's God's fault that I continue to sin. No, that's not true. Because if you have been born again, you trust in Jesus, you have the heart changed, and you have the spirit living in you, and you can obey God. And if not, trust in Christ today. Commit to him today. Pray for him to change your heart. And obey him because it's your privilege. The next feature of the call, a call to avoid excuses. The excuse just like previously, it's God's fault. Here, the excuse is, he says, and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Listen. Ladies and gentlemen, 
The Jewish people of John's day thought being born under Abraham as their great-great-great-great-great-grandfather meant that they were protected. They could do whatever they wanted. Ultimately, they're okay because they were God's people. You know what that is? An excuse for sin. It's the same way here today. This is one of the biggest things for me as a preacher. I don't want my children to grow up saying, while my dad's a preacher, I'm okay. That doesn't mean anything. Personal repentance is important. You have to have a change of heart. You have to trust in God yourself. It doesn't matter if you're raised in a Christian home. It's amazing when you talk to people out there and you ask them, why are you going to heaven? They say this, I've been raised in a Christian home. What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? That was a, what is that? What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, ladies and gentlemen. Excuses, excuses, excuses for sin. This is much like us here in the South. We live in the Bible Belt. Some would argue that Florida got left off of that. But that doesn't mean squat. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I got 15 Bibles in my house. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Well, I went to XYZ Christian school. Who cares? That doesn't save you. Your relationships don't ex- save you. And those are just excuses you use. We must not. Personal repentance and faith in Christ alone is what saves a person. It is important to note, John makes it clear, God can make children for himself out of rocks. (laughs) God is not obligated to save anyone here in this room. Did you know that? And God is not obligated to save any of our children And God can make children for himself from rocks. (laughs) That's a wild thought. Think about that. You know what that makes me? Hey, this one doesn't go very well with the self-help people, does it? Can you imagine? He's in his, giving away his cash. Seat number 500. You won $500. You're special. Way to go. John the Baptist says, seat number 512, God doesn't need you. Guess what? See the seat you're sitting in? He can make a child out of the seat you're sitting in. It doesn't matter to him. He's God. We're human. We're the creation. He's the creator. Obey him. Repent. Turn from your sin. Then he gives, fifth, a graphic warning 
for those who reject the truth. And literally, he says, indeed, you should fear, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Ladies and gentlemen, this is graphic pictures. Pictures, illustrations to point and grab their attention. By the way, all those preachers in training, these illustrations are what really bring the text alive and you understand what God's trying to get at. And it's what they understood too. You need them. John uses pictures to illustrate his point. He gives the picture of an axe ready to fall on the tree at the root. If there's no fruit or no change of heart and then demonstration of the change of heart, the axe is ready at any second. And if it's hit at the true at the roots, what would be the difference? Normally I went and tried to get a picture. Well, you can't see it very well. Went and tried to get a picture of an axe hitting the tree. Normally what happens is where do they hit it? They leave a stump, don't they? And often, even from the stump, you can it can grow back. The tree can grow back from the stump. But the root implies what? No growing back. You start beating the, the root of a tree, and you cut its roots out, what's going to happen? Dead. It's gone. No second chances. Do you hear that? No second chances. Judgment's coming. Boy, that one, does that go over real well? Can you imagine this guy, the preacher, back to our famous preacher? Or, not famous, but what is it, infamous? Yeah, infamous preacher. Our infamous preacher. He says, look, God wants to bless you and give you money. Let's give a car away next week. I come visit... I step into the pulpit with 2,500 people and I say, the axe is laid at the root. It's about to cut you down. You're going to die and go to hell. That's tough. Wait. I heard a story of a preacher once got to the end of his sermon and said he was going to offer the gospel to the people and said, no, they'll be back tomorrow night. It was a revival type thing. And the great Chicago fire came and hundreds of people died in the fire the next day, night. I'm never going to do that. I want you to listen to me. If you ask why do I sometimes bring up the gospel in the middle in the most random places, this is one of them maybe. I want you to listen. Everybody in this room is a sinner. Everybody in this room is right on the edge of death. At any moment, we could breathe our last breath. If you have not repented, that is turned from your sinful, selfish ways and trusted in Christ Jesus as your Lord 
and your Savior, you are in, per in a perilous place. At any moment, God could say, that's it. I beg you, commit to Christ. Trust in the one that died for you. He rose from the dead. He's victorious. He can pay for your sins if you commit to him. Otherwise, there's no difference between the message John the Baptist has for you. The axe is ready to fall. We don't know what today holds. We don't know if we'll live through the rest of the day. None of us in here. Do you understand that? This is a perilous thing. Some of you in here and saying, why are you saying this again? Because I love you. I don't want to see any of you go to hell. None of you. Trust in Christ today is your only hope. A graphic warning for those who reject the truth. Finally, we begin to see the application. There's three groups that he gives here. Three groups of people come to John seeking personal application. <laughs> okay. So you tell we have to bear these fruits. We got to show the results of a heart change. We got to demonstrate this. What does it look like? There are three groups are the crowd. Notice in verse 10 it says, And the crowd were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? Then second, the tax collectors, the despised people of the area. Everybody hated them because they were crooks of that day. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? What shall we do? Notice the respect they showed to John the Baptist, teacher. And then finally, we've got the soldiers. Even the soldiers were there. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? Now. Let me ask you a question real quick. Does your life demonstrate the fruit of repentance? Does your life demonstrate a changed heart? Does your life do it? Maybe you're like some of these people, and you're saying, okay, what do I do? How should I act? What should I do? I know my heart's changed. I know God's work. What should I do? Does anybody in here want to know what God wants them to do? Raise your hand if you want God to tell you what you want to do. Do you want God to tell you what to do? How many of you want to hear? Okay. He gives it to you. Ready? These are beautiful. They're wonderful. Great truths. Look at them. First, he tells the crowd is told to show compassion to the un underprivileged. Show compassion to the underprivileged. He says in verse 11, look, 
And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. All right. So what's a tunic? A tunic was not the outer garment. It was the inner garment. <laughs> Whoever has just the, a tunic, give it to somebody that doesn't have one. There were people that were destitute walking around with barely any clothes on. If you got two tunics, give one up. Look, how many of you have more than five pair of pants in your closet? How many of you have more than, how many of you have a closet full of clothes? We are, we are spoiled people in America, aren't we? Even our poor are rich. We have so much. And you know what? I'm not going to get into politics, I promise. We are always expecting more. We want more. Give me more. Please, I deserve more. Give me a break. The fruit of repentance is the opposite of that. I deserve hell. I deserve hell. What can I do? Here, give it away. You can have it. You can have it. You can have it. Share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. Food. Do you know there's a, a group that was at the Shepherds Conference, and I think we ought to pray about eventually supporting them. It's called Children's Hunger Fund. It's a really neat group. They go to Myanmar. They went where I went. They feed children that are starving to death. All the time. Starving to death everywhere. I've got a changed heart. My heart's been changed. What are you doing? Complaining about what I don't have. Oh, folks, this is disgusting to me. It's disgusting. I see it in the propensity of my own heart. I'm ashamed of it. I hate it. I don't have enough. That's not fair. Give me more. That's sick. If everybody in this room got nothing else the rest of your life, you were blessed. Anything above hell is what? Blessing, grace. If you really are changed, 
You will show compassion on those who are underprivileged, those who are hurting. I want that to be about our church, right? Is that what you're about? Second, the tax collector. Are told to be fair and upright with your business practices. <laughs> and he said to them, collect no more than what you sh have been ordered to collect. See, the idea with the tax collector was this. The government told them what they could collect. They went out and collected what? John says, look, be fair. Be upright. Do the right thing with your business practices. Collect no more than what was you have been ordered. This is what a true repentant person looks like. If you're about getting rich at the expense of others, that's a problem, isn't it? By the way, poor people can be just the same way. Did you hear me? We can be the same way. We'll justify in our mind, well, 90% of the rest of America doesn't have what I uh, have. They have more than I do. I was tempted this week even. Stephen got him a nice little iPod. Beautiful for Christmas or for his birthday, right? I saw it. Man, high five cut. He wasn't even he didn't even ask for it. He didn't even ask for that nice of an iPod touch. I looked at him. He hadn't. He had one. Hopefully it's a new one. I looked at him in Walmart three times since then. Well, I can use it for sermons. If I need to do some quick counseling, I can just pull it up real quick. Dopey. Not that. Ladies and gentlemen. Do what's upright. Put others above yourself. That's what a repentant person looks like. Finally, we see the soldiers. The soldiers are told to avoid any form of heavy-handed or dishonest treatment of others. 
Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Okay. Please underline this. What are your options? The soldiers, they could get more money. I'm a soldier. You better listen to me or I'll throw you in jail. Give me a place to stay tonight or you're going to jail. I'm going to go to the governor and tell that you didn't pay all your taxes if you don't give me some money. John the Baptist says, look, if your heart is changed, you won't treat people wrong, and you'll be content with what you have. Are you convicted yet? <laughs> Are you content with everything that you have? Are you content with the way you are? Are we always like that? We should be. Why? Because we have one that was compassionate to us. We have one that was very upright with us. He showed mercy and grace to us. Us, the sinner. He came to save us. We have reason to obey. Look, if you're not this way, if this is not your life, if you're not about being content with what you have, you're always complaining about your circumstances, you're always wanting more, you're never satisfied with where you are, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You need to turn to him. Repentance is in order. You need to pray like the tax collector prays in Luke chapter 18, verse 13. We need to pray like this. The tax collector standing some distance away from the altar was, wasn't even, uh, was, un, was, excuse me, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He wouldn't even look up but was beating his breast and saying, God, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Is that your prayer? Does that reflect your prayer life? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
are times where I stand up here and I see my own hypocrisy. I'm not the hero of every sermon. Christ is. I'm a rebellious sinner apart from God's grace. How about you? If that's not your heart, ladies and gentlemen, you're not repenting. still a brood of vipers. Let's pray. Father, when we think of this passage, we are reminded how we are all about ourselves. And we who have trusted in Christ, we're still ashamed that our lives don't always reflect Christ's glory. And we call out to you, please be merciful to us. Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord, who came to die for sin, for our sin. We killed your son by our sin. God, we ask you to forgive us. We trust that his death pays for our sin. And we now want to live for you. By your grace, Lord, you will work in us. We can lay down our lives for others. We can give ourselves away. We can do it by your grace, God. Please, Lord, work in this congregation. Please help us to quit being so selfish. Help us to put others above ourselves. As your son put himself down on behalf of us. Thank you for your grace and your goodness to us and the forgiveness we have in Christ. We now, Lord, want to follow you and be doers of the word, not just hearers.